0: One of the most uh, amazing things about the passage that Sheikh Hassan recited and the reflection that Shaykh Abdullah gave was that Ibrahim, in his constant plea to his father, he kept using the same phrase over and over again. And if you look in the books of tafsir, when you look at this ayah, this, these ayahs from Surah Maryam, you see that he's asking his father and he's desperately pleading to him, please, please, ya abati, ya abati. And at the end of it, as Sheikh Abdullah mentioned, the pleas did not work. Allah did not will or decree that his father would turn to him based on even his kindness. And normally when we do good things and the goal that we had in mind was not achieved, so you do something good and the goal that you had in mind was not achieved, you feel like, what's the point? Like why, why, why even bother? And then you say, next time I'm not gonna try so hard. You know, I tried really nicely, I was very kind, I was patient, and then it didn't work. So next time I'm just gonna, who cares? I'm just gonna do whatever makes my nafs happy, pleases me, and then khalas, that's it. But Allah Subhanahu wa Taala in the Qur'an, He says that He never wastes anybody's good deeds. Any good deed you do is never wasted. And so now fast forward, Many, many, many years. And you have another conversation between another father and another son. And who is the father this time? The father is actually Prophet Ibrahim himself. And who is the son? The son is his beloved son, Ismail. Ya Inni al-manam, adbahuka. tara. Oh my son, I have seen in my dream, I was commanded, because it's wahy for the prophets in their dreams. What? that I have to slaughter you. And Tell me what you think. And what does his son respond to him? What words do, does, it, does his son choose to respond to his father in that moment? Everyone know? Decades later, after he was rejected, despite the kindness of the words that he used, Allah delivered to him a gift in what? In a beloved, patient, obedient son. Ibrahim, your good deeds do not go to waste. Allah will always make sure, whether it's in this life or the next, and subhanAllah, Ibn Ata'illah, he says it comes in both, this life and the next, that Allah will always give you back the good that you did. It may not be in that moment. Ibrahim did not win that conversation with his father. But when it came time for him as a father to have another tough conversation, the first one was tough and the second one was tough. When he told his son that I have to slaughter you, it's a tough conversation. His son says back to him, what? Oh, my dear father. Can you imagine, subhanAllah, the sweetness in the heart of Sayyidina Ibrahim Alayhisalam when he heard those words, the memory that was, he was recalling that I, I stood in your very place beckoning to my own father. And he did not listen. And now I am giving the reward of a son that is so sweet and dear to me. Because of why? Because I was patient with Allah. I was patient with what Allah had given me. SubhanAllah. I have another topic that kind of shares a similar theme tonight. And this is a very, very critical topic in regards to not only the community, but also within oneself. There is an interesting narration from the Prophet Muhammad Wasallam narrated by his wife umm al-mu'minin aisha radiallahu anha umm al-mu'minin aisha she says that the prophet sallallahu wasallam he said that or she she describes sorry she describes that innamanazala awwala ma nazala minhu suratun min al-mufassal that the first thing that allah subhanahu wa ta'ala had revealed were the shorter chapters so basically from Surah Hajarat, which is chapter 49 to the end of the Qur'an. The shorter chapters, the passages that were shorter. And they had a specific theme. I don't know if you guys are aware, but in the time of Mecca versus the time of Medina, there were different themes covered in the Qur'an. What are some of the themes of Mecca? What do you guys think? Let's make this interactive a little bit. So far, I I haven't heard any noise from Southern Florida. Tawheed, Akidah. That phrase came later, but yeah, Iman. Believe in Allah. They wanted, they, you know, Allah Taala sent down the passages that would inspire people to reflect about iman, belief in Allah, belief in the angels, the books, the Day of Judgment. That this book is coming through a prophet. That there is a messenger in front of you. And so she says that she continues, and she says, "What fiha dikhro jannah In these chapters, in these passages, there would be reminders to the people about the existence." Of Jannah and also the existence of the hellfire. Hatta idha nasu until people developed a foundation, a strong base in their iman, ila al-Islam, and then after that, nazal al-halal haram So the first thing that Allah Ta'ala sent with the Prophet was not do this and don't do this. The first thing that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala sent, and again, we don't believe that Allah ta'ala did this accidentally, right? Is the Qur'an strategic? Yes or no? Is every letter perfect? Yes or no? This is part of our belief. Allah did not send certain parts haphazardly or accidentally. No, every single thing strategically was sent by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. There are scholars that have spent their focus in tafsir, was on what? Asbab al-Nuzul. Where, when did this come? At what point did this arrive? Where, what period in the Sirah did this chapter, this passage come down? Because this is so critical to us understanding the development of Iman in the heart of a Muslim. And so she says, when she's describing, that Allah spent the initial phase of the revelation was to build the faith of people. No halal and haram. You know, uh, Shaykh Abdullah, he, gave, uh, he asked, how many converts do we have here? And I don't want to shock everybody because I know that I am a Gorasab, Saab, right? I'm a white dude. But I'm not a convert. My father has the honor of being a convert. He's the one who accepted Islam. James Murphy accepted Islam in Cairo, Egypt. Why? He accepted Islam subhanAllah because he heard the Adhan. And when he heard the Adhan, he thought it was a fire alarm. And in a way it kind of is, isn't it, right? SubhanAllah. So he <laughs> said it was a fire. So he comes downstairs from the hotel he's staying at and he's running for the exit you know as he's leaving his hotel room he sees people taking the elevator he's like these people don't know anything about fires man you got to take the stairs so he runs down the stairs right he's wearing like nothing like imagine like whatever an american guy from springfield illinois be wearing his pajamas right i don't want to describe too much so he's running and he's leaving for the front door and he sees everyone heading to the musalla of the hotel And he looks and he says, where are these people going? Is there like a fire shelter? And he goes, and there's a young Somali boy who works at the cafe. And he says, where's everyone going? He goes, they're going to pray. And he said, that noise you're hearing is not a fire alarm. It's the call for prayer. And that young Somali boy was the one who first introduced my father to Islam. And my father at that point said if people can get out of bed to worship God, it must be the right religion. So, um, you know, needless to say, there's been a lot of pressure on me to pray Fajr in my life, <laughs> right? Because that's the origin story. But I want you to understand that this, this, this point is a very important point. Now, what's interesting is that when my father, who had this very inspirational story, and it wasn't scripted, it wasn't like, you know, the Somali boy was not plotting and planning, Oh yeah, if that white dude comes down here, Jim Murphy checked into this room, if he comes down, I'm going to tell him about Islam. No, it just happened. This guy comes up and says, what's going on? He goes, they're going to go pray. We pray five times a day. This is the first prayer of the day. And then my dad learns more and he ends up accepting Islam in Cairo, Egypt. And then meets my mother and that's where they get married. But subhanAllah, when my father came back to America, right, well, we're from Chicagoland. When he came back to America, And he told people, people found out that he was a new Muslim and he had been Muslim for a few years. The first thing they told him was you can't eat McDonald's anymore. And we laugh because otherwise we would cry. Could you imagine? A person has just come to understand that they were created for a purpose. (laughs) They've just come to agree to this point. And they want to find out what can I do to come closer to my purpose, my maqsad, the reason why I exist. And the first thing you say is drop the Big Mac. (laughs) And then the next thing they say to him is what? Change your name. Which in Sharia is not wajib. Unless his name is like Fir'aun. You don't have to change your name if it doesn't have a bad meaning. But these people were dead set, and may Allah reward them for their their himmah. a misguided himma can be more destructive than silence. Like, if you have a desire to do good, but you're not educated, you don't have ilm, you don't have training, tarbiyah, ta'lim, you don't have that. It's better actually to remain quiet. And so, my father, as a result of like the bombardment of Sharia, like really quickly, over the top, over the top, he developed a very interesting skepticism. Not from Islam, no, alhamdulillah. My father is still Muslim, alhamdulillah. He's alive today, he practices. He's beautiful, loves Islam. But he understood that I can't can't trust everybody. And look at how Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala perfectly lays out the message for people. And Aisha, she describes it. And she says something so incredible. She says, If the first verse of Qur'an were to be do not fornicate, don't commit adultery. If that was the first thing that Allah sent down and we all agree that that is one of the rules of Islam. She said the people hearing it would have said I will never stop committing adultery. So in Islam we believe in something called what? Tadaruj. We believe that there is a gradual process for everybody. By the way, this includes you too. When a person wants to get closer to Allah, it is a very sneaky but common trick of shaitan that he tries to get you to take on the most important, to, to you at the moment, the more important, most sophisticated, most complex, most difficult things instead of just building your base and your foundation and establishing what your relationship with Allah is. And so, this hadith of Aisha is very astounding. It's very helpful for us. It's one of those hadith in which we learn the strategy and the proper method and procedure. Now, Imam al-Ghazali, in one of his books that he wrote, it was actually a set of letters. He gives some advice to one of his students about how to establish this closeness to Allah using this same methodology. Right? Because a lot of us have been, unfortunately, we've lived the story of Jim Murphy where it's no Big Macs and change your name. Right, And by the way, I'm not an advocate of the Big Mac. Okay? I don't believe that we should all go out to McDonald's after this. What I do believe is that Islam is so beautifully built upon a strong foundation that we are doing a disservice to people when we don't introduce them to Islam the way that Allah introduced them to Islam. Think of Surah Al-Fatiha. Think of the opener of the Qur'an. The Prophet ﷺ said, لا صلاة There's no prayer except that you have to read the Fatiha in it. Everything else is your choice. Why? Have you guys ever thought about that? Why is it that Surah Al-Fatiha is the requirement for the prayer? Why not any other surah? Are there other ayat, other surah that are... Yeah, of course. And then think about how Allah introduces Himself. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, he begins with the basmala, Bismillah ar-Rahman rahim Alhamdulillahi rabbil alameen ar-Rahman rahim What's the theme of the first verses of Shulth al-Fatiha? Is nothing but the mercy of Allah. All Allah discusses in the opener. If, if I were like a random person, I just took the mus'haf and I opened it, the first thing I would see is, Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim. In the name of God. Who is God? The most merciful and the overwhelmingly compassionate. Now, when you introduce yourself to somebody, don't you choose the things about yourself that you want them to remember? I just flew down here on an airplane. I know Mufti Kamali came. Alhamdulillah, we're on the same flight. And one of the things that people do on airplanes, I don't know why there's like a, there's like ijazah for this, but people, as soon as you sit down next to them, they feel like you're best friends. That's not a very Muslim thing to say. I should probably work on that. But, you know, sometimes when you talk and teach for a living and you have two young kids, six and four, downtime is good time. So anyways, you sit on an airplane and the people, you know, you got your headphones in and people lean over and they want to like get your attention. And you have to do a very important trick. Are you guys ready for this? I'm going to teach you something. You're going to thank me later. Never remove the earphone more than one inch from your ear. Because by keeping it close, there is a very clear ishara. I am not interesting. I'm joking, right? (laughs) You have to keep it close. If you pull that earphone this far out, you're done. The whole conversation now. Tell me about your mom. Tell me about your grandma. So people ask you, where are you going? Is this home? Right? I'm like, okay, FBI agent. (laughs) Where are you headed? How many kids you got? You know, they go through the list. And subhanAllah, whenever anyone talks to you and they ask you to introduce yourself, what do you tell them? First, you say your name. And then they say, tell me about yourself. And you know what you do? Everyone here answers that question differently because you only answer it by the things that you want them to remember. So as a father, I usually start with what? Well, I'm married and I have two kids. And I love them very dearly. If someone's really proud of their job, let's say somebody just got a new job and they sit on the plane, someone says, tell me about yourself. He you said, well, I just started a new role at Google this week. Things are going well. You talk about what's exciting. If you just bought a house, you're like, well, we're about to close on a new house. My family and I, we're moving. Allah, in His conversation with the reader of the Qur'an, what does He want us to remember? All of the names, all of the attributes. He could have said, I'm the strongest. I'm the most decisive. I'm the one who punishes. I'm the all-wise. I'm the all-knowledgeable. Instead, He said, what? Ar-Rahman, Ar-Rahim. Now, think about your own educational experience in life with Islam. How many of us were introduced to Allah the way He wanted us to be introduced to Him? How many of us were introduced in a different way? My four-year-old daughter came home from Islamic school. And I love Islamic school. Well, I have a complicated relationship with Islamic school. I went to one, I got expelled from one, I taught at the same one that expelled me, I swore I would never send my kids there. I sent my kids there and my wife is the vice principal of that school. (laughs) So I have a very complicated relationship with Islamic school. But alhamdulillah, when your kids come home and they say, Allahu la ilaha illaha al hayyul qayyum you say, take all my money, take all my money, right? But my daughter came home and we're doing bedtime and bedtime for kids is like therapy. It's where you turn off the lights, we do some Quran, we do some dhikr du'as and then it's sleep time. And they try to prolong that process, so they just start free associating. Baba, why do round pizzas come in square boxes? <laughs> I'm like, that's actually a really good question. But my daughter, she's four, and she said, Baba, who's going to hell? And I said, I said Nuni, I said, Iman's her name. I said, Nuni, where'd you learn this? She said, oh, Sister So-and-So told us that Allah made heaven and hell, and, you know, and she focused a lot on hell. And I said, as a four-year-old, why are you being introduced to the afterlife in a way that Allah did not introduce us to the afterlife? Before he said, before he said, Maliki yawmiddin, he said, Ar-Rahman Ar-Rahim. And that's important. If you don't believe that's important, you don't understand Quran. So what Aisha radiallahu anha is telling us here is that Allah has a system. And if we abandon that system, and then we complain that we're not getting results, why are the youth not coming? Why are this, this, this? Why is my son not listening? You have to look at this hadith. Did you focus on al-halal al haram before you focused on thabat of imam? Because if that's the case, then we should not be surprised that the result is less than what we wanted. So Imam al-Ghazali, he has a really good game plan. He says there are three things that everybody needs to adopt in order to follow this and think about their iman first before they, before they go all in on the, the, legal, the, 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 the legality, like the legal system. He says, number one, you have to be ultimately build the, the most concern that you have around your soul, your ruh, And I'll explain to you what he means by this. We spend a lot of time looking in the mirror. Yes or no? Some more than others as a parent by our choice sometimes, right? I tell the students at Qalam sometimes. Some of them dress very nicely. You can tell that they look in the mirror and get ready. Some of them, uh, they show up to class maybe in uh, what we call the pajama thobe. All the brothers should know what the pajama thobe is, right? They sell them usually on the streets of Mecca Medina, right? It looks like a garbage bag that you just punched holes through, okay? So, some people focus a lot in the mirror, and they focus on that because they want to beautify themselves. The Prophet ﷺ taught us that, you know, when we see our beautiful reflection in the mirror, we should say, "Oh Allah, kama hasanta for That just like You made my exterior beautiful, please make my character beautiful. So Imam Ghazali says, "Ij'al al-himmati Put all of your desire, all of your energy, all of that, that, that oomph that you have in your life, invest it into who you are really. Right? You know, they say that you have a soul. One great writer, C.S. Lewis, said, no, you are not a body who has a soul. You are a soul who has a body. And he rephrased it so you understand that when your life ends, one of those things will in fact end, but the other one will keep going. And so instead of talking to young people or ourselves about appearance, caring about what people think, about what we look like, what we drive, where we live, what school our kids go to, what we do for a living, what's on our degree, all of that stuff, says, why don't you put a fraction of that into who you are in front of Allah? Just a fraction. If we spent as much time getting ready for Jumrah as we did for weddings, things might change. Yes or no? I was talking to somebody who's having a wedding soon and I asked him about the schedule and he said, well, the wedding starts at five but the families are going to start getting ready at 10. Some of you are laughing because you're like, wow. Others of you are not because you're like, yeah, that sounds good. And I'm here to tell you that may Allah bless your wedding. Ameen. May Allah bless your marriage. Ameen. I'm not going to be mean about it but that's a little bit ridiculous. That we spend so much time beautifying the stages, although this stage is beautiful, and getting ourselves ready. And I promise you, no one remembered except if the food was good. But for us, that was the most important moment and day of our life. It only goes downhill from there. (laughs) That's the laughter of a guy who goes to a lot of these weddings, unfortunately. Imagine if we spent that time with Allah. We know the hadith of the angels that sit over the doors of the masjid on the day of Jum'ah. And they write their award for the people that show up early and those that show up a little bit less early, those that show up very last minute and then they close their books once the time has come in, once the adhan has been given. And then even then as khatibs, ask any imam, as khatibs, you're structuring your khutbah to make sure that you get the most important points in the last what? Imams, which, which time? Last two minutes. Because you know that's really when everyone's sprinting in. And we wonder why our relationship with Allah is dehydrated, is malnourished. Because we're focusing on the wrong things. So leaving today, اجعل في الروح. Put your himma in your soul. You know, I asked my son Musa, he's six. When he does something good, I say, Musa, how does your heart feel? When he does something bad, I say, how does your heart feel? Because I want him to associate. My actions affect my heart. They make my heart feel good or bad. When he does something good, and it's difficult, like he shares a cookie with his sister, which is like the greatest jihad for a child. (laughs) The cookie is massive. It's the size of a small pizza. And I'm like, please share a bite with your sister. He's like, I don't know. What's in it for me? You know? When, I, when he does that, I say, Musa, how, do you, how does your heart feel? He goes, It was hard, but it feels good. It was difficult, Baba, but it, it feels good. I was, hap, I was happy to see Nuni was happy. <clears throat> and then he says, Well, فِي الْنَّفْسِ And place defeat in your desires. You know why this is so awesome? I'm sorry, I'm going over time. I'll finish. Because... All of us take L's all the time. We all concede and we all lose. Right? You guys ever heard the phrase, just take the L? We all decide to take the L. But usually we take the L with our soul. We decide to please our nafs and when we please our nafs and we neglect our heart, we take the L, but we take it with our imam. He says, no. Build up the courage and the strength to let your nafs take the L instead of your ruh. Don't flip those two. Make sure that you get used to it. Fasting, Ramadan, is a great practice for this. You put all of your energy into your ruh, and you said, you know what? I am hungry, I am thirsty, but oh Allah, I need you more than I need food and drink. Ramadan is less than six months away. Allahumma billighna Ramadan. You're tired, you want to sleep, but it's tarawih, And you're like, I'm tired, I want to sleep. But, oh Allah, I want to come pray to you. اجعل الهزيمة في النفس Put hazima put in your nafs. Take the L with your nafs. You want to get mad and say something really, really angry to somebody? Don't. Take the L. Invest in your heart and take the L with your nafs. والموت في And allow death to be something that you feel with your body. Don't let your iman die. Don't let your faith be the one that eventually crumbles up and passes away before your very eyes. If you had to choose between pleasing Allah and pleasing your body, please Allah every time. Because the pleasure of the body eventually wanes away, the pleasure of the heart never leaves. We ask Allah Ta'ala to make us those who build our faith. We ask Allah Ta'ala to allow us to be those who our faith can be watered and nourished and nurtured. Just like the hadith of Aisha described, that our foundation is strong so that the halal and the haram become tools for us to get closer to Him and not burdens for us that we avoid. Amin, Ya Rabbil Alameen. JazakAllah khairan, Subhanahu wa bihamdik. Nashadu an la ilaha illa anta, nastapirkum wa tubu ilayk. Wassalamu alaikum wa rahmatullah.